Today's scripture reading is John 5, 1-16. After this there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool, an Aramaic called Bethesda, which has five roofed colonnades. In these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. One man was there who had been an invalid for thirty-eight years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time, he said to him, Do you want to be healed? The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up, and while I am going another steps down before me, Jesus said to him, Get up, take up your bed, and walk. And at once the man was healed, and he took up his bed and walked. Now that day was the Sabbath, so the Jews said to the man who had been healed, It is the Sabbath, and it is not lawful for you to take up your bed. But he answered them, The man who healed me, that man said to me, Take up your bed and walk. They asked him, Who is the man who said this to you? Take up your bed and walk. Now the man who had been healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn, as there was a crowd in the place. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you are well. Sin no more, that nothing worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had healed him, and this was why the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Thank you, McKenna. Appreciate that. Um, Good morning, church family. Good to be with you all. Uh, My name is Reed. I serve as one of the pastors here at the Olathe Campus of Christ Community. If I haven't had the chance to to meet you, to say hi, I'd love the the chance to do so. Come find me after the service. Uh, I'd love to get to know more about who you are and uh, and to share more about who we are as a church. And so it is a joy to worship with you. Um, What I'd like to do as we continue in our worship service together is just to pray to ask for the Holy Spirit uh, to bless the teaching, the hearing, the living out of his word. So let's take a moment to pray together. Father in heaven, we come to you in the name of your Son by the power of your Spirit to first and foremost declare and recognize our, our utter dependence upon you for, for life, for, for understanding for, for every ability that we have to conduct our lives, Lord, everything that we are and all that we have is from you. And so, Lord, what we ask in this time from the God who is gracious and generous and abundantly so, that you would generously pour out your spirit upon us that we might know and behold and delight in the Lord Jesus as we hear your word taught. Lord, I ask that you would illuminate the dark places in our hearts and our lives that are kept away from you, the places where we try to hide and retreat away from your presence that is loving. And so, Lord, I ask that you would allow us to fully bear ourselves before you to where we have nothing to hide, nothing to prove, and nothing to fear because the Lord Jesus has lived the life that we couldn't live, who has died the death we should have died and has risen victoriously for us. And so, Lord, would that truth permeate our minds, our hearts, our lives in this time? And would this time be edifying to us and honoring to you? We pray this in the matchless name of Christ, our King, and for his glory. Amen. For the, uh, for the past few years, I have... Um, my doctors told me I have, I have high cholesterol. That's, that's something I've been learning about myself. And... Uh, 
Uh, I, was, I was expecting for him to tell me I'm like, you know, just the perfect specimen of a man, uh, which is not true, but I have high cholesterol, and so, um, and I, I asked him, you know, what can be done to kind of bring it down, and I've, I've taken supplements, I've, I've increased my running regimen, I've changed my diet, uh, I only eat nine donut holes on Sunday mornings, and so, so but, but truly, I've tried to do everything, and so recently, at a doctor's appointment in uh, December, uh, he recommended this kind of minor medical procedure that could be done to bring my cholesterol down, to which I was less than enthusiastic about that. You know, it's like no one's really eager to do a minor medical procedure. Like, but, but so, so to the question of am I willing to lower my cholesterol, well, in one sense, like, yeah, I'll do what it takes. But once I was told what it actually entails, I'm like, nah, it's all right. And, and he persisted to recommend this procedure to the point that I have three unanswered voicemails on my phone from my doctor's office asking me to schedule this procedure, and I've just kind of ignored it. Like, it's, it's like, you know, like my furnace needs to be serviced or something like that. It's just my body. It's no big deal. But, but I've just totally put it off, which is revealing that, like, I don't really, and I'm not willing to do all that it takes to bring my cholesterol down. And, and we all have something in our life that we relate to in this way, that we want X, there, there's something I want, I'm longing for, I, I'll do whatever it takes to get it, but then once we learn that it requires Y to get X, we're like, eh, maybe I don't need it, you know? We try to have the whole sour grapes justification, those are sour grapes, I really don't need them or want them in the first place. We all have something in our life that we claim we want, but when we realize all that it requires to get it, we change our tune. And, and there's some of that dynamic at play in this interaction that we see between Jesus and this man at the pool of Bethesda in John chapter 5. What we see in this story is that Jesus asked this man a question that, that by all accounts, or by, by face value rather, it appears to be a rather tone-deaf question and a very un, unhelpful question. Do you want to be healed? And, and that's the question I want us to kind of explore together. As we hear Jesus ask this question of this man, I want us, through John's servant, to hear Jesus asking this question of us. Do we want to be healed? But, but why is Jesus asking this rather obvious question? I mean, clearly the man wants to be healed, understanding the, the predicament that he's in. It's rather obvious that the man wants to be healed. But why is Jesus asking this question? Because at face value, it appears like the, the kind of situation where you're driving on the highway and you see someone pulled over with their hood popped open, smoke billowing out of their engine, and they're looking over it. You pull over and say, hey, do you have, do you have car trouble, buddy? You know, like, it's like, oh, wow, well done, Sherlock. How did you come up with that deduction? And, and that, that's kind of what it seems like Jesus is doing here. Why is he asking a rather obvious question to this man? Perhaps there's more to the question, do you want to be healed, than what we see at face value. And so if you have your Bibles open, I want us to look at John chapter 5, but what I want us to see is that just like my response to my doctor that reveals I really am not all that serious about lowering my cholesterol, this question that Jesus is asking reveals something profound about what it means to be healed. And in many ways, what it reveals is that part of what it means to be healed is embracing the distinction between receiving from Jesus and receiving Jesus. And, and that's the, if there's one idea you take from our time or question to consider and ponder, it's this. Receiving from Jesus is not the same as receiving Jesus. 
If you were with us last week, Pastor Nathan uh, showed us the, the story in John chapter 4, the end of chapter 4, Jesus healing the, the official's son. And that story is a profound, contrasting backdrop to this story of Jesus healing the man at Bethesda. Because what we see is a unique distinction and contrast between how the official responds to Jesus after that miracle and how the man at the pool of Bethesda responds to his miracle. And what we see is that the main difference, what John is trying to intentionally show us by placing these stories back to back, is that there is a difference. Receiving from Jesus is not the same as receiving Jesus. So if you have your Bibles, turn to John chapter 5. John opens up this chapter with these words. After this, so right after this, this miracle of the official son being healed, after this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now, there is in Jerusalem by the Sheep Gate a pool in Aramaic called Bethesda, which has five roofed colonnades, and in these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. So John records for us that Jesus has, uh, has come to Jerusalem, which is the historic capital of Israel. He has entered in during this uh, particular unnamed feast, which many scholars believe it's Passover, so a very important time. And, and he later records for us, John later records in verse 9, that this is taking place on the Sabbath, so a very holy, important day. So Jesus enters a very important city during a very important feast on a very important day and goes to, by all accounts, a very unimportant place to an even less important person, which says, I mean, a whole sermon could be preached on what that says about our Messiah, about our King, that who he goes to in this moment. He goes to a very unimportant person by society's standards. He goes to the pool of Bethesda. And the Aramaic word Bethesda, it means house of mercy, which is very fitting given the fact that the people who are congregating in this area are people in great need. They're wounded. They are sick. They are hurting in various ways, and this is where Jesus chooses to go, and he goes to one man in particular, who likely is the one who's been there the longest. And we read these words in verse 5, one man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time, he said to him, do you want to be healed? So I want you to, to try and place yourself in the position of this man. And and for for some of you, that's not a difficult thing to do. You have been facing and dealing with a long-term chronic pain or illness or loss or a disorder of some kind. It's not hard to identify with his circumstances, maybe not exactly, but to some degree. Perhaps Perhaps it is it's the cancer that ravages our bodies, it's the anxiety that assaults our peace, it's the chronic pain that robs our joy, it is the crippling doubt that weakens our faith. And I say our, just, to, just as a little side excursus here, I say our because not one of us is impervious to suffering. Not one of us is, is free from or exempt from pain in this world. But also I say our because as the family of God, through the power of Christ, we, we share in one another's burdens and joys. To be the family of God, we have the blessed burden of suffering, but suffering together and sharing in that together. And so as you try to identify yourself with this man, what actions would you take? What would be the the condition of your, your heart and your soul? What thoughts would pervade your mind? What would be your response to someone who offered their assistance to you in your time of need? Would you would you be hopeful and grateful, or would you be cynical and doubtful? 
And in these times, it is so natural for us, when we're facing suffering of various kinds, it is so natural for us to be led into despair. That is so often the case. It seems that the natural progression of suffering is to fall into despair. And that is, in many ways, what has happened to this man. And perhaps it's what's happened to us in our own suffering. And I, and I, I want to be very careful here. I don't want to minimize any of our pain, any suffering that is taking place in any of our lives. But what I do want us to consider is what is the story that we have come to believe about our suffering? What is the story we have come to believe about our pain and how we seek to endure it in these seasons of life? Because if we do not have a proper grasp and vision of the broad narrative of God's work of redemption and working all things for our good and his glory and his work of making us whole in the truest sense of that word, if we don't have a good grasp of that, then our suffering will swallow us whole. If we don't have an overarching framing understanding of how our suffering fits within God's redemptive plan, then we will see our suffering leading us into despair. Because so often we tend to view suffering as an interruption on the path to the good life. When so often it is actually the case that our suffering is an ingredient that God uses in his infinite wisdom that enables us to live the good life. And this is something that is so starkly unique to the Christian narrative of giving us an understanding of how we face suffering. In fact, uh, Tim Keller, in his remarkable book, Walking with God Through Pain and Suffering, he has these words for us. He says, some suffering is given in order to chastise and correct a person for wrongful patterns of life. Some suffering is given not to correct past wrongs, but to prevent future ones. And some suffering has no purpose other than to lead a person to love God more ardently for himself alone, and so discover the ultimate peace and freedom. And he goes on to say, suffering is unbearable if you aren't certain that God is for you and with you. Which is a way of saying that receiving from Jesus is not the same as receiving Jesus. Receiving from Jesus is not the same as receiving Jesus. If we allow our definition and our vision of of the good life to be set for us and be determined by our culture, then we will find ourselves facing suffering with cynicism. That's so naturally the case. We will fall into the trap of comparing ourselves to other people and we will grow bitter because they have it better. And that's partly what John is showing us in this interaction that Jesus has with this man at Bethesda. Jesus has come to this man and has asked him if he wants to be healed. Again, a rather obvious question. And the man, understandably so, points to his despair. Look with me at verse 7. The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. And while I am going, another steps down before me. Now, in this man's defense, okay, he, he does not fully know the power of the one who is asking this question, do you want to be healed? If he, if he knew who was asking this question, he might not respond by just pointing to his despairing, sorrowful state. And yet, despite this man's inabilities, or, or and despite of that, he still responds. He points to his inabilities. And despite the fact that this man points to his inabilities, Jesus mercifully responds, He he doesn't hear his complaining attitude and posture to be something that that disqualifies him from receiving Jesus' mercy. But Jesus still extends mercy in verses 8 and 9. 
Jesus said to him, get up, take your bed, and walk. And at once the man was healed, and he took up his bed and walked. And now that day was the Sabbath. So just as a side note here, John makes the point to show that this was happening on the Sabbath. And this is what causes the religious leaders who were kind of witnessing this and heard about this. It causes them to lose their minds and what begins the process of them plotting and planning to kill Jesus. Because in their minds, it was unlawful to heal on the Sabbath and it was unlawful for anyone to carry their bed on the Sabbath, which was actually an additional rabbinic law. It's not found in the scriptures. And so we'll see a little bit of more this next week, and as John's gospel unfolds, this growing tension between Jesus and the religious leaders. But but for now, I want us to focus on how this newly healed man responds to Jesus. And the lack of praise and gratitude for Jesus or toward Jesus is glaring in this man's response, especially when you compare it to other healing narratives, like the one we just saw in John 4, or later on in John 9, the blind man being healed. What we see in this man, is there's a complete lack of recognition that Jesus is the one who is worthy of praise. I mean, mean, the brother doesn't even stick around long enough to kind of learn Jesus' name. And and in fact, even even when he's confronted by the Pharisees, he kind of tattles on Jesus. Look, Look with me at verses 10 and 12. So it says, so the Jews said to the man who had been healed, it is the Sabbath and it is not lawful for you to take up your bed. But he answered them, the man who healed me, that man said to me, take up your bed and walk. And they asked him, who is the man who said to you, take up your bed and walk? And so in this moment, we need to be careful how we read this. The man is not giving credit and glory to Jesus. He's not declaring to the Pharisees, like, I have to tell you about this man who healed me. In this moment, he's being accosted by the religious leaders for taking up his bed and walking. And so instead of trying to say, hey, hey, like, that doesn't matter. Like, let me tell you about, he doesn't have the same reaction that the Samaritan woman had of, come and see this man. Instead, this man responds by kind of throwing Jesus under the bus, by blaming him. He's like, hey, like, this guy is the one who told me to do it. So take take it up with him. Your beef is with him. It it would be like my wife, Megan, uh, coming to one of my kids at night and finding them eating snacks in their bed. And she's like, what are you doing? And they're like, hey, dad bought the snacks, so take it up with him. Like, that's, like, like that would be a really like, cruel thing. It's like, they're just throwing me under the bus. And that's kind of what this guy is doing. That's how he's responding. And so right here we see that this man is, he's not really interested in, in praising Jesus, knowing Jesus, loving Jesus, thanking Jesus. He just simply wanted something from Jesus. But again, receiving from Jesus is not the same as receiving Jesus. But then, so, so you're thinking, okay, so maybe, maybe he's like wondering, gosh, did I, did I kind of make a, a mistake there? Like, should I, maybe I should rethink that. If I had another opportunity, maybe I would kind of redeem it. But the brother doubles down. When he's reunited with Jesus later on, he basically does the same thing again. Look at me at verses 14 and 15. So afterwards, so Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, see, you are well. So John's trying to show us there's this level of excitement that Jesus has in seeing this man that he has healed. See, you are well. Sin no more that nothing worse may happen to you. And the man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had healed him. So Jesus has come to this man 
who is in this place of great need and has offered him the chance to be made whole, to be healed in this moment. And despite the man's poor attitude and despite his even poorer response, Jesus mercifully heals him. But then he offers this second wave of mercy by being reunited with him and calling him to repent, which is a mercy. It's a severe mercy, but a mercy nonetheless. A call to repent so that you might, not, might uh, avoid further suffering. The call to repent is a loving invitation that Jesus offers us. And so how does this man respond to two waves of mercy from Jesus? He uses Jesus as a scapegoat. And then when he's reunited with Jesus, he doubles down and he leaves anger. Jesus has called him to repent so that he might avoid further suffering. And he leaves angered and annoyed after being expected to repent because he immediately goes to the Pharisees. When it says he went away, that's a common phrase in the Gospels and in John to communicate someone who is displeased with Jesus. So he immediately goes to the Pharisees and he reveals the identity of the man they want to kill. He is not declaring his name is Jesus, which means God saves. He is revealing the identity of the man that they want to put to death. And so in the face of such tender mercy and love, this man responds not only without gratitude, but with a desire to bring harm upon the one who healed him. And man, if that doesn't preach to our predicament as broken sinners... Who are, who are completely undeserving of God's grace and mercy and who continually show how undeserving we are. I don't know what else communicates the nature of our heart and yet we see Jesus' mercy continuing to be extended. This man responds in this way because he failed to see that receiving from Jesus is not the same as receiving Jesus. Or in other words, the man wanted to be healed. He didn't care about being made whole. And the reason I say that is that the word in verse 14, when Jesus says, see, you are well, that word well, it's the exact same word that Jesus uses in his first question, do you want to be healed? In our English Bibles, it translates two different English words, but it's the same Greek word there. And what it means, it literally means wholeness. Do you want to be whole? Do you want to be whole in the truest sense? And this makes a great deal of sense based on what Jesus says later in verse 14, when he says, sit uh, sin no more, that nothing worse may happen to you. So in this moment, Jesus, he's widening the scope of what it means to be whole. He is revealing that it's more than just having our physical ailments remedied. It's no less than that. But there is a wholeness that Jesus is offering that is greater. He's widening the scope of what it means to be healed and whole. It is not just about having physical health. It is not just about having comfort or peace or peace of mind. It's about having an entirely new life apart from the sin that unravels us, apart from the sin that, that tears apart the fabric of our wholeness and our flourishing. It is about living a life that is for and before Jesus, who is the epitome of wholeness, who lives a life fully integrated, if you will. And so what we see in this picture in Jesus offering this man wholeness is a wider scope than what we tend to settle for. Jesus is showing us a life that is lived for him and before him, who is the epitome of wholeness, because receiving from Jesus is not the same as receiving Jesus. But even as I say that, like, okay, I, I, I can maybe see the distinctions there, but, 
But how, how do we distinguish between those two? How, how do I know if I'm living my life in such a way that I, I am after Jesus himself and not simply what he has to offer me? And so I, what I want to do, I want to offer is just three diagnostic questions, if you will, to consider, okay, how am I living my life for Jesus or, or am I just interested in what he has to offer me? And so this is a question I would encourage you to wrestle through with your loved ones, with, with friends, with your community group. If, if you have no one to wrestle with in that question, I, we would love to do that. Reach out to us as we journey together in following Jesus. And so here's the first question. Do you want to be whole or just comfortable? Do you want to be whole or just comfortable? And so often in our kind of Western comfortable world, we, we tend to equate wholeness, perfection, the life we long to live with just pure comfort and ease. We think that comfort and ease are what our hearts long for. And when we get it in whatever form it is, the, the comfort of a, of a new home, of a new job, of new furniture, of a new vacation, whatever, or, or even, even new health in some way, once we get it, we wonder why that longing feeling persists. And the answer to that question is because we were after wholeness, but we didn't realize it. Do you want to be whole or just comfortable? Because the reality is, friends, that we are broken people. We are broken people whose lives have been disintegrated. When you hear the word disintegrated, you think something has been utterly destroyed, annihilated, but disintegrated means that something is no longer integrated. That there is a segmentation, a bifurcation, a division of our lives, that we don't feel whole, that there's some division between our, our physical selves, our spiritual selves, our moral selves, our mental selves, our psychological selves, and what we are longing for is wholeness to be brought together. And that is what Jesus offers us, is wholeness of life, not just mere comfort and ease. And so don't settle for comfort when it is wholeness that you are after. So do you want to be whole or just comfortable? Second, do you want forgiveness or just a clear conscience? Do you want forgiveness or just a clear conscience? We think that what we need is to be liberated from some social or or moral or even personal kind of pressures that are put upon us that prevent us from living our true selves. That the the true path of salvation is to to live out and to be true to ourselves, to to find our own personal identity, that, that the problem is outside of us and the remedy is inside of us. But the truth of the matter is that we need liberation from ourselves, We need liberation from the sin that is within us and that so easily entangles us and deceives us and leads us into all forms of destruction. We don't merely need inner peace. We need forgiveness from the sin that destroys us and destroys others. And so do you want forgiveness or just a clear conscience? And so if you, if, you want, if you want comfort and not really wholeness, if you want a clear conscience and not really forgiveness, then it isn't Jesus that you are after. You may want something from him, you may want some version of him, but you don't want Jesus himself. And so the last question, which really kind of puts all this together, is do you want Jesus or just what he offers? And, and let me say it very clearly, it is right and good to want the things that Jesus offers. It is right and good to want to be forgiven. It is right and good to want to be reconciled to a holy God. 
It is right and good to receive the Holy Spirit, to be empowered by him, to love our enemies, to, uh, to care for those in need around us, to, to, to identify as daughters and sons of God most high. It is good and right to receive and want to receive things from Jesus. But friends, these things are a means to the end of knowing and delighting in Jesus himself. These things are a means to knowing and delighting Jesus, following after him as the one our hearts desire. And I, I know I've, I've shared this question before, and it bears repeating. It's, it's, a, it's a rather sobering question, maybe even a haunting question, but it's one that I believe gets at the heart of what it means that to receive from Jesus is not the same as receiving Jesus. And it's a question uh, posed by Dr. John Piper. He says this, If you could have heaven with no sickness and with all the friends you ever had on earth and all the food you ever liked and all the leisure activities you ever enjoyed and all the natural beauties you ever saw, all the physical pleasures you ever tasted and no human conflict or any natural disasters, could you be satisfied with heaven if Christ were not there? And in this question, again, it's not meant to manipulate or, or cause some kind of evocative response from us, but rather to help us diagnose our hearts and souls and ask the question, do I understand the difference between receiving from Jesus and receiving Jesus? And so friends, my, my encouragement to, to myself and to us, to all of us, is to not simply settle for comfort when wholeness is what we want. To not simply settle for a clear conscience when forgiveness is what we need, and do not simply settle for what Jesus offers when Jesus is what our hearts long for. Just like me and my, my cholesterol and my conversations with my doctor, this man claimed that he wanted to be healed. He claimed that he wanted to be healed and made whole, but he wasn't willing to receive everything that made him whole and what it, enta- what it entailed, namely repenting and following after Jesus. This man thought that his worst problem was his inability to walk, and and while I don't want to make light of that predicament that, that he was facing, Jesus lovingly draws near to him to tenderly tell him that there is a greater healing and wholeness that he is in need of. As Jesus is surrounded by sickness, poverty, and decay, Jesus shows mercy to a sinful and broken man by restoring him despite his undeserving and ungrateful heart. And he did so as a way to show that there is a sickness greater than sickness, a pain greater than pain, and a death greater than death. And he has come to provide a rescue and a decisive healing once and for all through the kingdom that he has inaugurated that is now and is yet to come, the kingdom that is secured and accomplished through his life, his death, his resurrection, and his ascension. For just as Jesus extended mercy to an undeserving sinner, as he was surrounded by sickness and death, Jesus mercifully offered his life on the cross for us, despite our undeserving and ungrateful hearts. Through his gospel, we are made new, and we are being made newer, if you will, as we await the assured promise of heaven and earth being made one yet again. The time where we await death, disease, decay, and destruction being decisively destroyed. And when we understand that this is our hope and all that remains is the wholeness of life with the one who is Christ our King, that is what gives us an ability to endure the suffering we face. When that is our hope, when this is our picture, when we see the wide scope of what wholeness is that Jesus offers, 
It helps us understand that receiving from Jesus is not the same as receiving Jesus. And so friends, the question that Jesus asked, this man at the pool of Bethesda, that has a wider scope than we realize, is a question he is asking us, do we want to be healed? Do we want to be whole? Then my word to us is to not simply receive from Jesus, but receive Jesus himself. Do not settle for comfort, but pursue wholeness. To not simply settle for a clear conscience, but to receive forgiveness. And to not simply receive from Jesus, but to receive Jesus himself. For he is the only one who can truly make us whole. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we know that you see us in our truest versions. You have seen us at our worst. You have seen us in our brokenness and our sin. Lord, you see us in the way in which we have acted as this man, where we have received grace and mercy from you and have responded in ways that are not simply void of gratitude, but have within it a sense of of disdain and contempt. Lord, I ask for your mercy to be extended upon us. And would you grant us by the power of your spirit a severe mercy in allowing us to see the error of our ways, that we might be able to repent so that we might avoid further suffering. Lord, may we hear the tender mercy and love of Jesus in his words, go and sin no more, for he is calling us into a life that is for our good. Lord Jesus, may we receive you as the greatest good in life, And may everything else be put in its proper order. May we order our loves rightly with you at the helm, at the top of that list. And so Lord, I ask that by your spirit, you would break through any and all barriers that stand in the way of us, seeing and delighting in you. Would you bring healing to our brokenness, healing to our sickness, healing to our desires for for lesser things. And may we find in you the source of our joy, of our hope, of our peace. Lord Jesus, would you be glorified in this time, now and forever. We pray this in Christ's name and for his glory. Amen.